Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. Wouldn't it be nice to always get what you want? Or, or, at the very least, get what you need? You know, it's not about a gamble, shot in the dark, luck, or even a four-leaf clover that does the trick. There are actually prescribed methods to accomplishing goals. With us today is Gregory Hartley, author of the book, Get People to Do What You Want, How to Use Body Language and Words for Maximum Effect. Hartley is a body language and behavioral expert who has written 10 books and has appeared on just about everything, CNN, ABC, CBS, and countless other news outlets. This former Army interrogator will share with us his secrets for getting exactly what you want out of anyone, anytime. Welcome, Greg. Glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So, important things to get to. And choosing the right approach that will enable folks to influence people and do what you want in professional and social situations. I'd like to break this down a bit, the value in business, romance, school, and neighborhoods. And let's begin by talking about the value of having these skill sets in business. Yeah, so I have spent 20 years, 20 plus years in corporate America. I I had 20 plus years before involved with the military, and that's where all these skill sets comes from. This started actually not far from where you're at, down in Hope County, uh, Scotland County, North Carolina, when I was working teaching resistance. I started to learn new skills. After I left the military, I spent 20 years in corporate America, ended up that career as a VP of operations in a big elevator company, and now work part-time as an operating partner in a private equity firm. So all these skill sets are transferable. And the primary thing is about learning a person's drives and understanding what that person needs from you and not projecting onto them and taking it for granted that you know exactly what they need. Okay. So how does that help in the business world? Yeah. So most people walk blindly through their business careers uh, to other people. And by that, I don't mean that we don't pay attention to other people, but we all live in, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you think about where a person is at in their business career and their personal life, we all have to belong to a group, whatever that group is, whether it's a small team, a larger team, dependent upon where you're at in the corporation. And then we need esteem. And so those things we give people out, all the trash keys we give them for being there for a long time, that's part of it. But more importantly, they need to feel valued and to feel as if what they're doing is making a difference. And that's where our steam comes from. And I even tell people often, a person may get stranded as a big fish in a little pond, and then their steam is staggering or stagnating because they need to move again. And if you have the right skill set, you can move them to a new group successfully, have them belong in that new group, and then let them grow steam there. And when you do that, you're creating career progression in a way that average people are not accustomed to. 
That sounds that sounds like a, a good plan there. Now let's morph this into a couple other areas. Like how might this help in a neighborhood, for example? A lot of you know this is where we we you know spend most of our time in our neighborhoods, and if you're not happy there, you're not happy. So how can we use these skill sets to make sure we're happy in our neighborhoods? You know, it's funny. I just finished a thing called the Behavior Panel Live, and the Behavior Panel Live is my partners in thebehaviorpanel.com. We weekly do a a YouTube show that covers all kinds of situations. And I talk specifically there about HOAs and cul-de-sac politics Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You just cannot get away from it. (laughs) If if you have people, there there will be constant jockeying for position. If you have two people in a group, then you have belonging. And esteem has to be established between those folks. So somebody's always going to try to get the upper hand. The more people there are, the more likely they are. The more frustrated they are somewhere else, the more likely they are to flex those muscles in the cul-de-sac. So it's still the same thing. It's still Maslow. It's belonging and esteem. It's a matter of understanding how entitlements and expectations are managed because some people feel as if expectations are entitlements, and you probably have to deal with that a little bit more in the neighborhood than you would at work. And last area before we go into some other things here, romance. How can this help in romance? One of the biggest things right now, I believe, in the past two years is in the sequestration we've all lived through, is if you think about yourself at work or at school or wherever you spent most of your time or spend most of your time, there there are many roles in those places. You know, there may be the enemy, there may be the confidant, there may be the, 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 you, you make a list. The biggest problem we're facing right now is because we're all sequestered and, you know, it's better now than it was a few months ago, but who knows how quickly it goes back, is we're still going to fill those roles. And if the only person that you have to fill those roles is your intimate partner, you're liable to start assigning blame and things in a different way. So always try to get people to pay attention to that esteem, belonging, and that need to rise above when you're in those kinds of work. On the other hand, the body language is handy in finding a mate, in knowing whether the person's trustworthy and all those kinds of things that you're talking about. So let's talk about that. How do you assess or use body language in words for maximum effect, as you have in your book? So tell us how we use the body language or assess it for success. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, I've made up a whole lot of fun of a career out of doing the body language pieces. I said this the behaviorpanel.com is every week nothing but us taking celebrity. I usually say politicians, murderers, and other liars apart and looking at them and figuring out what they're actually saying. What I'll tell you is if you're looking for body language to tell you the truth, average people get a 50-50 in telling the truth. We get 60 to 70%. The real tools are not just the reading body language, but also controlling the conversation with a skill set that I address in these books. And then you can get much closer to truth. But what these things are good for is understanding when a person is feeling stress, when fight or flight is, exists, and helping that person to calm down sometimes is a better way than to go the other way. Sometimes you don't want to accuse. Sometimes you want to understand. Because most people are not going to go through their life lying to you. You probably have some unhealthy relationships where people do. But there's also the benefit of understanding when a person is feeling stress and maybe solving their problem and your problem at the same time. Mm. Okay. It sounds like a lot of, um, it sounds like, it, it, like part of the thread here is focus on the other person rather than focus on yourself. Yeah. And, and the number, remember, I, I'm a 20 year military interrogator, followed by a lot of time in spending with later agencies and that teaching those guys. 
And the one thing I would tell you is we spend so much time focusing on our own thoughts that we project onto the other person what we believe. So sometimes it's it's more important that you open your eyes, ears, and pay attention to what's going on. Active listening is a powerful tool. Then learning how to question effectively and how to drive those next interactions. And to talk about elicitation techniques and interrogation psychological ploys to get information and get people to do things. The most important parts are really paying attention. So, so a couple examples here for body language. How, what would we be looking for um, to see if someone's receptive? So let's say you have some grand idea, whether it be with your corporation or otherwise, even in a family situation, how do you measure their body language to see, you know, are they receptive? Are they doing something in particular? Sure. Yeah. And when we think about reception, a person being receptive, the old sales maxims are mostly right. When a person's looking at you and their chin is about the same level as yours, it may drop a little, but not covering the throat, just a little as they break eye contact. Their eyes may drop down to their left as they internalize what you're talking about, try to understand the concepts. Then they may look back at you and a slight smile, eyes wider as they're taking in the data. And you see a little nod. That's a great indicator of and their arms are open. There's no barrier ring, meaning putting something between you and them. That's a good indicator that the person is open and receptive. You may even see some concern in their brows are trying to put the numbers together or whatever the project is. But it gives you a chance to understand they're open, they're processing information. And the number one, the number one body language myth is that when people break eye contact, they're lying. Often they're just processing information. Mm, I've never heard that one before. Uh, you know, and so let's just twist it a little bit and the other way, like, okay, you're presenting some kind of whatever. We don't need to determine it. It could be applied to your life listeners out there, whatever it might be. But what's the opposite? Like, how do you know when to hold, when to fold? So you're presenting whatever your idea is, and you're not getting this receptive body language. How do you change course to make that get what you want in life? So just to give you a couple of those indicators, the chin goes up and thrusts out. That, t- that chin jet we typically associate with defiance. Um, the arms cross the body. You close up. You put something between you. That's closing you out and defying. They may even push your tongue through their lips. What you have to do is to go back, and I teach in conflict, go back to where that deviation occurred. So if you're paying real attention, you can see it happen. You can go, well, hold on a minute. Let's go back to what we shared in common and figure out where the deviation is. And in many cases, and I've run business transformation projects for a career, in many cases, it's not about everything. It's about a single thing that causes a person not to want to be a part of it. And if you ask, they'll often tell you. Hmm. Okay. So maybe part of this part of the process is asking, like, where did I lose you? You were on board and then yeah, somehow exactly. I lost you. What's going on? How can we uh, compromise or resolve this? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I think most people are so worried about the big picture, they forget the little pieces. And at the end of the day, I say this to businesses all the time, unless you mine salt for your own consumption, you're in the people business. Now, what couple of things here. What attracts people, what repels them, and what makes them tick? You know, all, all of us work on that same premise. We need to belong to a group, and we need to differentiate within that group. I put together something I call a, a formula for charisma, that if you are not charismatic, you can get better, and something that people innately do. 
And I usually say that's really five steps. Number one is to demonstrate value. And there are many ways to demonstrate value. If you're Bill Clinton, if you're president of the United States, you automatically have value. But there are many other ways. You just have to figure out which one is yours. The second step is to recognize an opportunity. Because if you simply talk to the person, that doesn't seem charismatic. But if you recognize an opportunity and you grant them an audience like, hey, come on over and talk to me. You let them know that you realize that you have value, but you also realize they have value. The next piece is you create belonging. And that means, hey, so we just talked before this. We share some common geography. If we get to a, a place where, hey, here's what we have in common. We've lived in the same places or something else, some way to belong. And I, some folks are masterful at that. Folks like Clinton are. And then on the backside of it, you allow them to differentiate themselves. So they tell you, not only did I live in Paducah, but I was Miss Paducah. Then suddenly you've given them the opportunity to belong and to differentiate and you've satisfied their Maslow. And they feel they feel good about it. Thank you for sharing those steps. Um, I'm actually writing them down for myself um, as, as we go here. So what about repelling? Like, again, I, I try and put people in the, in the situation where they're, it's your family and you're pushing this trip and people aren't responsive. Or, you're, again, the job thing, you, you have an idea, a proposal. What repels, repels people? Well, we innately understand that closed body language is not positive, and we read clusters. Experts read clusters of body language, not a single thing. But most people learned in high school that crossing your arms means you're blocking somebody out and you're not open to thought. Some people do that relaxing, and if the rest of their body language sends a different message, it means something. But most people, most, and I say 95%, still believe that crossing your arms means that you're not listening, you're blocking someone out. So if you take on that approach and you project what that person expects, for example, crossing your arms, breaking eye contact, dropping your brow as you look at them, because that's a negative thing, closing your chin down over your throat or pushing your chin out, both of those are going to push the person away. Okay. Um, okay. So let's talk about maybe uh, some, oh, maybe one or two tips, what you would advise in one-on-one uh, -on -one interaction, group dynamics. Um, let's start with one-on-one -on -one interaction. So one-on-one, -on -one, the best possible thing you can learn is to mirror. And when we say mirror, we mean how a person moves, how a person speaks, how a person reacts. And I don't mean copying them kind of like a chimp would in the zoo, if you do something a chimp copies you. But pay attention to their cadence. If they're slow speaking and you're a fast speaking person, you may slow a bit. Pay attention to their speech patterns. If they have something idiosyncratic in their behavior, if they stroke their mustache constantly when they're talking to you, you pick up something so that you touch your fingers together, for example. Not the same exact thing, but people feel comfortable in the presence of people like themselves. And folks who have some idiosyncratic behavior are keenly aware of it. And if you can make them feel more comfortable, then they're more liable to have a great interchange with you and to remember it as positive. Mm -hmm. What about in a group dynamic? So in groups, what we know is that those people who are perceived as alpha, male or female, um, what we know there is that those folks who move the least are perceived as the most powerful. So slow your pace a bit in your movement. Slow maybe your pace a bit in your speech, and you'll be perceived as more powerful. That's just a freebie. Easy. Mm. Okay. 
So how does this all lead us to get what we want? Can, can, do you have like a case study to share with us to bring home this point? Yeah, I can, I can give you a couple. And I've written about 10 books. This is one of 10, and all of them have skill sets in them from the intelligence world apply to yours. But at the end of the day, working through corporate America many times, I've had people who would not have otherwise probably ended up career-wise as far up the ladder as they did. But by finding a way for that person to constantly belong in the new organization and then allowing them to actually differentiate. I took one lady, was one of my favorite people I ever worked with. She retired recently. But getting her to a new place, making her comfortable so she could show her talent, she grew to be a director of operations. Now, Working through that, if you don't make them comfortable in the new situation, if you don't shield them in the new situation until they can show what they know, then you lose that whole skill set, if that makes sense to you. So it's all about belonging. Create a place, a crucible, so that even the weakest person in your organization can belong to that team and show off what it is they do, because you don't know when you need that until you need it. Anything we haven't covered that would, uh, you know, get to, I'm just going by your your title of your book to get what you want anywhere, anytime kind of thing. Any other thing that I haven't covered that might help folks accomplish that? Well, and Mary, I'll tell you, I, I could talk forever about this topic <laughs> because what we, I just did a weekend, a, a three-day event on this very thing. And we, what we talk about are human skills, human behavior skills, and how they apply. As I said, this is one of 10 books I've written, and this book, together with Liar, have done very well. But primarily, it's because people are trying to figure out other people. And I think we've blunted the ability to read people. And these books are intended to give you the ability to read other people and and think about why you do the things you do. And that's the biggest thing to unlock is why am I doing what I'm doing to prevent me from doing something stupid while I'm trying to get other people to do what I'm doing. That mm-hmm. makes sense, too. Mm-hmm. Well, it does make sense. And I'd love if you could give um, our listeners a site where maybe they could go to get one of your 10 books at different subjects on different things. It sounds like a a plethora of things that might really help. Do you you have a website they could go to or um, any other information that you could give them to connect? I do. And the simplest way to find me is readbodylanguage.com. Readbodylanguage.com. That shows everything I've done and lots of stuff that's online and some free things for you as well. We like free here. I do too. We, we like free at Triangle 411. So that's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and helping folks today. Appreciate you being here. Truly my pleasure. Thank you for the invite. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. I hope you enjoyed the show and took away a lot of valuable information. I am Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, spread joy.